0: the great bible reset is a podcast devoted to counteracting the great economic reset of klaus schwab using bible lessons in theory thank you to boomers alive.com for sponsoring this podcast and the kingsway classical academy This week, we are continuing our study on the great books of Western civilization and their effect on our current economical and spiritual crisis. And now your host, Oliver Woods. Hello, everybody, and welcome to GreatBibleReset.com. This is Oliver Woods, and our theme is that the one and only thing that uh, will deliver us from the wrath of God resting on America is a return to true Christian nationalism, which is the book of the covenant found in Exodus 20-24. through Now, if you aren't familiar with that passage, you can pick up our commentary in the bookstore at greatbiblereset.com. We find many of the heirs of John of Salisbury in the current debate on Christian nationalism. John of Salisbury wrote Politocraticus in 1159, uh, the first book on medieval political theory, heavily influenced by his associate Thomas Becket and ancient philosophers like Aristotle, Cicero, Justinian Code, and, and, and many others. He was among the foremost philosophers of the so-called 12th century Renaissance, contributing to the development of political and moral philosophy, as well as the medieval theory of education and to the dissemination of emerging Aristotelian learning. He introduced the two swords theory in the separation of church and state, but he placed both swords under the church. Now, John, um, he was the first to apply the term body politic to the analogy of the human body, and has thus been dubbed the father of modern political science. Although he didn't acknowledge the Bible, he's modeling after the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12:18, where Paul said, um, but now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired, end of quote. But the head was the king, the, the heart was the legislature, the soul was the church, the feet are the farmers and workers, and the arms are the army. Prior to this time, throughout the Middle Ages, the Bible was revered, if not obeyed, as the governing authority for all of life in both church and state. The two were perceived as one united kingdom under God with the state dominant, and it was called Christendom. Now, John of Salisbury changed all that by separating the two institutions formally and placing the civil magistrate under the church in line with the teaching and the struggle of his mentor, the martyr Thomas Beckett. Polycraticus has been described as, quote, a fascinating hodgepodge flitting from one subject to another and above all its apparent inconsistencies, end of quote. We might say that John of Salisbury was the first Christian nationalist. The problem is in any book on Christian nationalism, whether it's medieval or modern, that doesn't take Exodus 20 through 24 as its starting point is little more than philosophical speculation best based on indeterminate natural law and fallen human reasoning. For example, a recent book called In In Defense of Christian Nationalism, the author states at the beginning, quote, I am not a theologian. This is a work of Christian political theory. It is not overall a work of political theology. I assume the Reformed theological tradition, so I make little effort to exegete Bible text. I am neither a theologian nor a bible scholar. I have no training in moving from scriptural interpretation to theological articulation. Revealed theology Now listen to this, revealed theology serves to complete politics, but it is not the foundation. So instead of the word of God, this author believes that politics must rest on a combination of quote natural and supernatural presuppositions in order to integrate natural and supernatural truth into a systematic political theory. And he goes on to say the primary reason that this work is political theory is that I proceed from a foundation of natural principles. He explains, while Christian theology assumes natural theology as an ancillary component, Christian political theory treats natural principles as the foundation origin and source of political life, even Christian political life. In other words, this author is saying that all Scripture is not sufficient for the man of God to be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, as we find in 2 Timothy 3.16. He's saying, don't worry, God, I've got you covered. I'm going to lay down a foundation of political theory based on my natural law, philosophical speculation, and my fallen human reason, and then God, you can come in with your political uh, theology and and take over. So the wolf is at the door. (laughs) With America teetering on the brink from tumbling off the cliff into the abyss of God's judgment, we we simply can't afford to waste any more time on what amounts to philosophical mumbo-jumbo. We've been down this rabbit hole too many times before in the last 2,000 years. Looking back uh, to uh, Botheus, uh, Consolation of Philosophy, And now John of Salisbury at this key turning point. God never says, oh my people, return to natural philosophy and be healed. Romans one is talking about natural revelation. It's not natural law, it's not natural theology. Both of these are a sham. We need to be reasoning from the word of God, not Justinian's law. Contrary to John of Salisbury in these current books on Christian nationalism, God demands a full bore return to his law in the book of the covenant. And nothing else. And if if you've never heard of the Book of the Covenant, it's not really your fault. It just means you're a victim of psychobabble being spewed from the typical American pulpit and the Christian press. Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments, followed by three chapters of ordinances, and in one chapter of national covenant commitment to the Book of the Covenant. And God actually calls it Book of the Covenant there in Exodus 24. It's got two parts, uh, first the ten words and then second, what God calls the ordinances of chapters 21 through 23. Now, most of these laws have a penalty indicating that violation is a crime, not just a sin. But it's noteworthy at the very end of this ordinance section, there's a section of, of uh, injunctions that are not accompanied uh, by a penalty. But they have to do with everyday cultural interaction, and are delineated by two bookends or two verses, each with the command not to oppress a stranger. And then within those two bookends, for example, we have uh, injunctions such as don't follow a multitude in doing evil. There's no no penalty, no crime. It's just don't do it. Um, another example is helping your enemy uh, free his donkey. Again, no penalty, no crime. Just do it. You know, And this ultimately, this was a contest between Beckett's church canon law and the royal common law of Henry II. Henry is known as the father of the common law based on custom and church precedent. I'm sorry, based on custom and court precedent with very little Bible. And Henry was known, he was known for his temper tantrums. On occasion, he would throw himself on the floor in a fit of rage. In this, right there in his courtroom, um, excusing it as a king's expression of the wrath of God. In one such instance, in 1170, he blurted out, quote, who will deliver me from the insolence of this lowborn monk? End of quote, you know, referring to, to Becket, And so four of Henry's knights took him seriously. They lit out on horseback to, to Canterbury Cathedral, where they violated the divine sanctuary to brutally murder Becket on the threshold of his sanctuary. You may recall from last week how Becket resisted the king's efforts to try church officers under royal law, And his martyrdom gave the church a temporary victim in that regard. But after John of Salisbury, church and state were viewed as separate institutions, vying against each other for ultimate authority. John provided a philosophical justification for the papal revolution of 1075 to 1122. There was no great Bible reset, ratified by covenant, binding them together and cooperating together to lead the society in obedience to God as modeled in the Old Testament. This radical separation of church and state plagues us to this very day. Today's church leaders have no inclination or sense of obligation to involve themselves with the civil magistrate or hold the magistrate accountable to the law of God or assist in the courtroom, such as we see in the Old Testament. Every king in the Old Testament had his priest or prophet keeping tabs to encourage, exhort, and occasionally rebuke. Remember how the prophet Nathan risked his life to rebuke David in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. In the New Testament, John John the Baptist challenged Herod, uh, as we see in Mark 6. But John of Salisbury reduced the authority of the Bible by making it just one voice among many, including Aristotle, Plato, Cicero, Virgil, Justinian. This leads to man-made laws such as John's recommendation for the use of torture to extract confessions related to treason and the state stealing the inheritance of the children of men so convicted. This is part of this legacy of John of Salisbury. And we'll be getting into that in a lot more detail in the next week or so. In the meantime, I'd invite you to visit our longevity store at boomersalive.com. That's boomers-alive.com. Pick up some great deals on turmeric, fish oil, and other supplements. Um, Buy one, get two free. Buy one, get three free, and so forth. So uh, in the meantime, we'll see you again tomorrow uh, when we look at the biblical analysis of John of Salisbury. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more episodes, visit GreatBibleReset.com. And to help support the podcast and Kingsway Classical Academy, visit our sponsor at Boomers-Alive.com. To learn how to get your high school diploma and bachelor's degree on the same day, visit KingswayClassicalAcademy.com and save up to $100,000 on college tuition.